Hey, so good to see you, all those here in Mesa and those joining us online at South Mountain and Fountain Hills. Thank you so much for being in church today. My name is Nate, and I'm so glad you're here to worship with us today and celebrate that all that the Lord is doing. Anybody glad to be here in church today? Amen. Hey, we're in a season of Advent. It's a season of preparing for the birth of Christ. As we approach the Christmas season, we're celebrating the fact that God is indeed Emmanuel, God with us. And kicked off last week, the first week, Pastor Ryan talked about hope, and we've got some of the tradition here of Advent. He lit the first candle, the candle of hope, and today we're gonna light the second candle, which is the candle of peace, and the next two weeks will be joy and love, and it's just a reminder that Christ is indeed the light of the world, that he is light that came into our darkness, that he rescued us out of darkness into his marvelous, marvelous light. And so today I want to talk about peace, and I want to look at two of the prophecies from Isaiah speaking about when Jesus was going to come, who he was going to be, and what he was going to do. Isaiah chapter 9 verse number 6 tells us, for unto us a child is born, a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders, and he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, and Prince of Peace. He's the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53, verse number five, says it like this. He was pierced for our transgressions, crushed for our iniquities, and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him. By his wounds, we are healed. Don't you love that? The punishment Jesus took was a punishment that brought us peace brought us peace. He is the Prince of Peace, and he brings peace, and we're reminded of that in this season. The word peace comes from the Hebrew word shalom, and it means this, human well-being, prosperity, and flourishing. Or you could say it like this, it is a relationship or a circumstance void of conflict. Does that sound appealing to anyone today? Spaces and places of your life that have peace are void of conflict. There's peace there, Christ came to bring us peace. I love that Isaiah tells us that Jesus is the Prince of Peace. If he is the Prince of Peace, here's what he does. The Prince of Peace is the one who removes all peace disturbing factors. He secures the peace. He, he came to remove anything that would disrupt our peace, anything that would bring conflict or chaos in our lives. He is the Prince of Peace. And I don't know about you, but I and I think all of us could use a little bit more peace in our lives. I, I've never met anyone that has had too much peace. It's like, hey, how you doing? Man, I'm just overload on peace right now. I could use a little bit more chaos. Nobody's ever said that, right? Nobody has ever had too much peace. In fact, in most spaces and places of our lives, if we're honest, we lack peace. There is tension and there is conflict and there is struggle and there is trial and we long for peace in every area of our life. This doctor I was reading, he, he, he polled his patients for an entire year and he asked them this question, what is the number one thing you want in your life above anything else? What is the number one thing? And about 70% of the patients that he asked this over a one-year period said, I want peace in my life. They want peace in their lives. We talk about Jesus being the Prince of Peace and bringing peace. 
But if we're honest, most times in our life, we would say we lack peace. We lack peace. In fact, I found some interesting numbers. It's been said that in human history, there's been less than 286 total years that have been called years of peace in human history. There were 8,000 peace treaties that were recorded and that are known to have been broken. 8,000 peace treaties across human history that have been known and recorded and then known and recorded to have been broken. How many know we need some peace? We need some peace. The good news today is that Jesus is the Prince of Peace, that, that he is Emmanuel, God with us. I love the Gospel of John, John 1, that says uh, the Word was made flesh and dwelt among us. That, that term is, is he tabernacled among us. It's to say he set up his tent in our neighborhood. He, he came and made himself with us. He dwelt with us as the Prince of Peace. I don't know about you, but we need peace in a few areas of our life. Number one, we need peace because we have conflict with one another. We need peace because we have conflict horizontally in our human relationships. Can anybody testify today that human relationships can be challenging? Human relationships can, can be tough and we have conflict as human beings with one another. On a large global scale, we have this because there are wars and rumors of wars and different cultures and different worldviews that are constantly uh, clashing against one another. We, we constantly have conflict and turmoil. There's Psalm 120, it's, it says it like this, verse number six, too long I have lived among those who hate peace. I am for peace, but when I speak, they are for war. Some of y'all feel like that's your family around holidays. I speak for peace, but y'all are for war. <laughs> on, on a grand scale across the globe, there's conflict amongst humanity horizontally in our, relationships, in, in our relationships with one another. We just have conflict. But we also have it personally just with people in our own lives. Family relationships can be tough. Work relationships can be tough. We, we can have conflict amongst each other. There can be things that come up that we disagree on that can drive wedges between us. There can be bitterness and resentment that can build in our relationships. There can be miscommunication and misunderstandings that can cause conflict and therefore a lack of peace in our relationships. We just celebrated Thanksgiving a few weeks ago and in some of your families, people view Thanksgiving as a great chance to kick up their feet and relax and eat a bunch of food. But some people in your family view Thanksgiving as a chance to get up early and run a 5K. And therefore, you have family conflict. <laughs> we, we have conflict with one another. We have conflict in our horizontal relationships. But we don't just need peace there. We need peace because we have conflict with the world. We have conflict with the world. With the realities of the fact that we live in a broken world that has been tainted by sin, sometimes conflict just comes knocking on your door. Not because you asked for it or not because it was because of a decision you made, but just because of the reality of the broken world we live in, sometimes conflict comes knocking on your door. Sickness can strike your body and all of a sudden you're in conflict. You lack peace. Storms and disasters can happen and they can turn a community upside down and they can upend people's lives and all of a sudden you have conflict. Come on, summer can happen in Phoenix and you have conflict. <laughs> <laughs> you have conflict. Things 
that you fix and that you work on, not too long until the thing you just fix becomes broken because it's just the realities of life we're in conflict. I think about the people of the Old Testament as they were going through the wilderness and different nations in the Old Testament. It's consistently seen that there was droughts and famines in the land, and they're in conflict. They're at war with the world around them. I think about the disciples getting in the boat at the command of Jesus to hop in and go to the other side. And as they're going to the other side, a storm comes and the winds are blowing and the waves are crashing and they find themselves in conflict with the world around them. We need peace because we have conflict with each other. We have conflict with the world. And then the third space we need peace is because we have conflict within ourselves. There's all kinds of exterior conflict, but how many know there's also a lot of interior conflict with your own heart, your soul, and in your mind? You can have fear and doubt that can cripple your mind. You can have worry and anxiety that can paralyze your soul. You can, you can have chaos and conflict and a lack of peace on the inside. In fact, I think it's this one that can be the most detrimental to us because for some of us, maybe you have your, your all, all, all around the outside of your life, it looks like it's polished up and you have everything together and you have anything money could buy and everything looks fine on the outside and it looks like peace on the outside. But if there is no peace on the inside, you've got an inner conflict with worry and fear and discouragement and insecurity and doubt and anxiety and and we can have peace on the inside we need peace on the inside because we can have conflict on the inside of us it's like what Paul talks about in the book of Romans he says the things I know I want to do I don't do and the things I don't want to do, I do do. And so there's this constant inter-turmoil. He says in the book of Galatians 5, he says, the spirit and the flesh are, are constantly at war with each other so that I'm not free to do what I want to do. He's, he's speaking of the spiritual inner turmoil and conflict and battle on the inside of us where we say, man, Lord, we need your peace, not only exteriorly, but I need it on the inside of me. And so we live with conflict with one another, within the world, within ourselves. And if we're not careful, we can just run to the immediate space where there's conflict and try to get peace there without realizing the the real root cause of all conflict in our lives. The real root cause of conflict in our lives and a lack of peace is not just the immediate thing that we're looking at, but it has to do with our story with God. See, because of sin, the root of all conflict is our conflict with God. Because of sin, the root of all conflict in our lives stems from our conflict we have with God. Because sinful man is in conflict with the holy God, conflict has now made its way into every space and place of our life because of our broken relationship with God. In fact, the prophet says like this in Isaiah 48, there is no peace, says the Lord, for the wicked. For those who are not right with God, there is no peace anywhere else in our lives because our broken relationship with God is the root cause of all other conflict in our lives. And I want to show you this all the way back in the beginning from the book of Genesis. In the book of Genesis, we see where all of this begins. The scriptures record God creating the world. 
God created the heavens and the earth. And I love the creation story where God creates and then he admires it. It was good. Created it and it was good. He created and it was good. He created man from the dust in his own image and it was good. The only thing that God said was not good was that man was alone. He said, it's not good that man be alone. And so he made from the man, he made a woman and man and woman, Adam and Eve, lived in perfect peace with God in the garden. God created and it was good. They lived in peace with one another, in peace with the garden, and in peace with God. See, at the very beginning, God created and there was peace. God created and there was peace. There was peace with him, peace with one another, and peace all around. But then man sinned and there was conflict. The beginning of conflict, the beginning of a void of peace began when man broke perfect relationship with God. When man sinned, the perfect relationship between man and and a holy God was broken. And right after that, conflict entered every other space. All right, look, I want to show you this. Right after conflict began with God, now conflict began with one another. As soon as they sinned, what happened? Well, God came looking for them, and we see the first marriage fight. Because Adam, Adam looks at God, and he goes, the woman made me do it. All of a sudden, you now have conflict in horizontal relationships. Think about their kids, Cain and Abel. You've got conflict in horizontal relationships because conflict with God, because of sin. You have conflict with the world around them. Part of the curse in Genesis 3, you see God come to Adam and Eve and he says, hey, because of this, because of the curse of sin, Eve, you will now experience pain in childbearing. What is that? That's conflict with the world. He says, Adam, because of the curse, you will now experience pain as you work the ground. The ground will be tough. There will be thorns. You will have to work and labor in pain to produce in your work. What is he describing? He's describing conflict with the world. Saying, hey, because conflict with God, now you're not right with each other. And now the world is more challenging and there's conflict as you navigate the world. And then also we see they have conflict on the inside of them. See, before man sinned, the scriptures describe Adam and Eve as naked and unashamed. What that meant was there was no guilt, there was no shame. There was no inner turmoil or shame around who they were, who God created them to be. But after they sinned, they covered themselves up. Why? Because now they began to have an internal conflict and shame entered their heart. See, a broken relationship with God is the root cause of all other conflict in our life. When we're not right with God, conflict and chaos works its way into every every space in our lives. We see from Romans chapter five, verse 12, just as sin entered the world through one man, this is speaking of Adam, and death through sin, in this way death came to all people because all sinned. Because of man's sin, we, we are in conflict with God and that conflict has seeped its way down into every space in our lives. But I'm grateful today that the story doesn't end there. I'm grateful today that that's not the end. We see that God created and there was perfect peace. Man sinned and there came conflict. But the good news of Christ today is that Jesus came as the Prince of Peace to restore what was lost. Jesus came as the Prince of Peace 
to restore what was lost. Peace with God had been broken, and now the Prince of Peace came to remove all peace-disrupting factors, that is, the sting of our sin, so that we might be made right with God. I love that when Jesus came, it's constantly talking about the peace that he brought. Luke chapter 2, this is the angels speaking in verse 13. It says, the angels appeared, they praised God and said, glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth, peace to those whom his favor rests. Man, of all the things the angels could have declared, they said, hey, peace on earth to whom his favor rests. Christ is coming and he's coming as the Prince of Peace. We see from Romans chapter five here again, talking about through Adam's sin, all became sinners, but it says, but also through the obedience of one man, this is the Prince of Peace, this is Jesus, our Savior, our Lord, many will be made righteous. Because the Prince of Peace came to restore our relationship with God, we are made righteous. God came into our conflict. He came into our chaos to bring peace. I mean, that, that's the Christmas story, isn't it? The Christmas story is a story of chaos and a lack of peace. All right, just think about this with me. You've got the Virgin Mary, who her and Joseph are facing all kinds, of, all kinds of pressures as far as the community and the social pressures from their situation that she's with child, and there's no room for them, so they're in a manger, they're in a barn, they're in the town of Bethlehem. This is not a desirable town. This is not one you would stop by. This is not one you would vacation to. This is not one you would desire to put your name on, yet he's in Bethlehem, he's born of a virgin. He's in the manger. It's during the census and tax season. (laughs) Come on, that's light in the darkness. Light came into the darkness. It is tax season that Jesus, he's in every single way, the Prince of Peace enters the chaos. In every single way, the light of the world enters the darkness, enters the hurt. It is is who Christ is. He, He came and dwelt among us so that we could have peace with him so that we could have peace with him. You could summarize it by saying this, if you don't have peace with God, you have no peace. You have no real peace. Any peace that you may think you have apart from God is manufactured and temporary and fragile and fail. Without peace with God, we can have no real, lasting, eternal peace. But if we have peace with God, we can know true peace. If we have peace with God, we can know what true peace is really is. And this is, what, this is what Jesus brings. And today I want to put a few practical handles on this as we're in this Christmas season and as we're approaching the celebration and the reminder that Christ came and dwelt among us. I want to put a few handles on this idea of peace uh, that hopefully you can apply to your life here in this season. The first one is from Mark chapter 4. Jesus has told his disciples to get in the boat and go to the other side. And it says, there was a storm that arose The waves were breaking into the boat, so the boat was already filling, but he was in the stern asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? And he awoke and rebuked the wind and said to the sea, peace, be still. And the wind ceased. Come on, the storm listens to our God. Isn't that a, the wind ceased and there was a great calm. The prince of peace was at peace. Okay, they're, they're in a storm, and these are not rookie fishermen. These, these guys 
fished for a living. They knew how to handle the seas and the water, and they are freaking out. They are terrified. They, they, they tell Jesus, don't you care that we're perishing? They apparently thought they were going to die. How serious did the storm have to be? How strong were the winds? How big were the waves? How serious was the storm? Yet the Prince of Peace was at peace. He's in perfect peace. He's sleeping in the midst of the chaos and he gets up and he calms the storm. And although it was a physical storm for them, it makes me wonder for some of us today, is this a good picture of the season of life you find yourself in? Where there's a storm and the winds are howling and the waves are crashing and the plea to the Lord is, Lord, do you, do you even see? Lord, do you care? And you're, you're in the midst of exterior storm in chaos. And I want you to know today that when there is no peace in the water, peace is in the boat. When there's no peace in the water, this season is a reminder that peace is in the boat. The Prince of Peace is with you in the boat, and he is at peace. The Prince of Peace does not panic or freak out. The Prince of Peace is at peace, and he's with us in the boat. And one day, I don't know what day it will be, but it will be a glorious day. One day the Prince of Peace will get up on the boat and he will look into the storm and the sea that is raging around our lives and he will speak to it and one day everything, perfect peace will be made all over the world. Perfect peace will be made. God will calm the storm. Come on, he's coming back again. He's coming back one day to right every wrong, to wipe away every tear, to bring peace in every situation. What an awesome day that'll be when he comes and brings peace into our lives. But until that day, I want you to know peace is in the boat. Peace is in the boat. The second thing I want you to know today is that future hope gives us present peace. I love the message last week from Pastor Ryan talking about the hope of this season. The hope that God is good on his promise. The hope that he came once born of a virgin, but the hope that he's coming again as a, as a king. He's coming again to rule and to reign. We, we have hope as followers of Christ for the future because of the promises of God. And it's that hope that actually fuels your peace for today. Your future hope is fuel on the fire for your peace right now. So I, I love sports. I love watching sports. I love playing sports. I love talking sports. I grew up in a family with three boys. And so we were just sports all the time in my household. And, and I love to get together with friends and family and just watch games. And I have a particular group of friends that's way different than me. They like to not watch the game live, but record it on their little box at home. And during the game, while it's happening live, they just act like it's not even happening. And I, I, I can't get myself to, to be like them. It, it makes no sense to me. They act like it's not happening. And then they go back home that night or the next day and they want to watch the recorded game. And I'm not, I'm not like that. If it's happening in real time, I cannot live in the false reality that it's not. <laughs> so I have to check the scores on my phone and, you know, see what's going on. But they just act like it's not happening. And so that night or the next day, we'll get together and they'll turn on the game that happened yesterday. And I'm like, you guys know all these men are now at home chilling now. You know that, right? They're not really playing, but, but they act like it's a real, uh, you know, it's in real time. And so we watch the game and I already know how the game went because I followed it in real time. So I know all the plays, I know all the highlights, I know all the injuries, I know all the setbacks. 
And so I'm watching the game now knowing everything. And it's so funny from my seat to watch them knowing everything that I know when they know nothing. (laughs) Right? So the game will start and there'll be an injury and they will just be distraught. Oh my goodness. I can't believe they're out. They we're going to lose. They're going to be out for the whole season. Oh my gosh, that looks so bad. And I'm over here. I'm like, yeah, he comes back in the second half. (laughs) It's going to be fine but they're freaking out in the first quarter and they don't know what's happening and then their team is losing at halftime and they're pacing in the living room. Oh, we're gonna lose first place now. Ah, ah, ah. Right, we, came, we were supposed to beat this team. And I'm sitting there and I'm like, dude, y'all come back and win. It's all fine. It's really good. Like, just, just calm down. Like, I, I watched the game with an unbelievable amount of peace. Because I know how it ends. And I know something they don't know. Look, here's, here's the hope for followers of Jesus. We know how this thing ends. Come on, we've read the book. We know that one day every knee will bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is Lord. We know one day he'll wipe away every tear. He will right every wrong. He will rule and he will reign. He is on the throne. He will continue to be on the throne. One day there will be perfect peace. One day we will, we will truly be in a space void of conflict and struggle and turmoil. And so we hold on to that hope and that promise and that future hope gives me present peace. So, so you could be in the first quarter right now and there could be an injury. You could be down in the first half, but you can hold on to the hope we have in Christ and have peace regardless of your circumstance. He can give you perfect peace. How, how else does the Apostle Paul sit in a jail cell awaiting a death sentence and write to live as Christ and to die as gain? Like he's, he's not just trying to show strong there. He's, he's really serious. He really says, hey, hey, if you let me live, awesome, to live as Christ. To die as gain. If you kill me, that's fine. I'll be with him. How, how does he write that with authenticity in a genuine heart? He, he does it because, because he has peace in the present because he's got hope in the future. He, he's writing to the church in Rome in the book of Romans. He's writing to the church in Rome that's facing persecution. How else does he say, hey, causes all things to work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That, that's not just a, a void encouragement. That is, that is true hope anchored in the promises of God that gives the church present peace. We know how this thing ends. He can give us peace despite the storm around us, despite the conflict that may be in our lives. And the third thing I wanna encourage us with today is this, God's peace is peace that flows. It's peace that flows. I, I, I saw it this week like I hadn't seen it before from the prophet Isaiah. He speaks consistently about the peace of God coming to the people of God. He's the one that prophesied he's the prince of peace and he's constantly talking to the people of God, talking about the peace that God desires to give to his people. And he says, this is the last chapter of Isaiah in chapter 66. He says, this is what the Lord says. I will extend peace to her, speaking of the people of God, like a river. Like a river. Like a, to, the, to the nations, like a flooding stream. He says, hey, the peace from God is going to come in your life, and it's going to come in, and it's going to come in your life in such a way it'll be like a river. 
A few chapters before, in chapter 48, he says it like this. If you had paid attention to my commands, your peace would have been like a river. Peace would have come like a river. God's peace is peace that flows. I was thinking about this. How, how does peace come like a river? The Bible is full of analogies. And what an analogy is, is there's a spiritual truth that we don't recognize or we can't grasp. And so the scriptures give us a tangible picture of something that we do recognize and we do grasp as to say, this is what the spiritual truth is like, something that you know. He says, hey, peace from God is like a river in your life. It's like a river in your life. I'm familiar with the idea of a river. I live not too far from one. I'm from central Virginia, and there's a river that actually begins where the first settlers in Jamestown came in 1607 in Jamestown, Virginia. They came and they settled on the James River. The James River enters Virginia and heads west. It goes through the capital city of Richmond, Virginia, where I live. It heads through the capital city up the mountains of Appalachia. 1,500 feet above sea level is where the rivers begin in the mountains of Appalachia and the Blue Ridge region. And the James River flows for hundreds of miles all the way back down to the Chesapeake Bay at sea level on the east coast of Virginia. I began to find and look through and study the history of the James River. And did you know, since the settlers first came in 1607, this has been true since then, and it's been true of my entire life that I have been around this river and seen this river. The James River has never stopped flowing. It's never stopped flowing. In cold seasons, it flows. In warm seasons, it flows. In good times in Virginia, it flows. And in bad times in Virginia, it flows. When, when the economy is great, the river's flowing. And when the economy is bad, the river's flowing. Every season, it has flowed. It's the peace of God. You're in a great season, the peace of God is flowing in your life. You're in a challenging season, the peace of God is flowing. You, do you feel on fire for the Lord and closer to him than you've ever been? The peace of God is flowing. Do you feel distant and absent and have more questions and answers right now? The peace of God is flowing. His, his peace is like a river. It flows. It's continuous. It's nonstop. I found also that the James River, for the entirety that it has existed, has only flowed in one direction. It always flows from the highest point in the mountains, 1,500 feet, down to the lowest point, sea level. It has always flowed in one direction. What the James River has always done is it has brought what is upstream downstream. The nature of a river is to take what is up high and bring it down to what is at low. This is the peace of God like a river, ready? It's God saying, I'm bringing what is in the heavenlies down to earth. It is God dwelling among us. It is bringing what is upstream, downstream. His peace flows with spiritual blessings in the heavenly places down to every crevice of my life. It flows. It's a continuous flow. And I pray this Christmas season, the peace of God would flow in your life. I pray in this season, the things of God that are upstream in heavenly places would seep downstream into every area of your life. He's the Prince of Peace. And ever since Jesus came, people all over the planet have been experiencing the Prince of Peace. A story I read about a man who experienced the Prince of Peace in his own life. His name was Horatio Spafford. Horatio Spafford was a 
successful lawyer in Chicago in the mid to late 1800s. Horatio Spafford had a law practice and he practiced law in the city of Chicago and he was very successful at what he did, so much so he took some of his wealth and he began to buy real estate. He built a great portfolio of real estate in Chicago. He was very successful. The blessing in the hand of God was on his life in every space. He had a wife and four beautiful daughters and life was good for Horatio Spafford. But in 1871, the fires of Chicago nearly took out his entire portfolio. His entire portfolio is burned up in the fires of Chicago in 1871. And then the financial crisis of 1873 hit and his business began to tank. This was a modern day story of Job where everything he had just began to be gone within this period of 24 months. And in 1873, they had taken such a hit and he was just in such a daze from everything they had been through. He said, I've got to get me and my family out of Chicago for a little bit. We need to change the scenery. So Horatio Spafford took his wife and his four daughters to New York City to get on a boat to sail across the sea to Europe for a vacation to change the scenery and take a break from everything they had been facing over the last 24 months. And as they're about to board the ship in New York City, something happens with his business where he, he can't go. So he, he has to tend to business. And so he puts his wife and his four daughters on the ship to set sail for Europe. And he tells them, I'll get on the next ship and I'll see you over there. Puts his family on the ship. They set sail. He gets on the next one and he sets sail behind them. And en route to Europe, he gets word that the first ship carrying his family has wrecked. Not a minor wreck, a major wreck. Within 12 minutes, history tells us the ship was underwater. And all four of his daughters lost their lives. They found his wife still breathing, floating on a wooden plank. They were able to save his wife's life and get her across the sea to Europe. And he gets word that his family has, has passed with the exception of his wife. And he's sitting there, again, this is a modern day Job story. He has lost everything. He has lost all of his wealth. He has lost all of his assets. He has lost his most valuable asset in his family and his kids. And as he's on the sea, catching this news on the way to Europe, the Prince of Peace meets Horatio Spafford. This man takes out a pen and paper and he begins to write the song, Me and You Know As It Is Well. He begins to write verse number one, having experienced all he had experienced, he began to write verse number one that goes like this, when peace like a river attendeth my way, when sorrows like sea billows roll, whatever my lot thou hast taught me to say, it is well, it is well with my soul. That's the Prince of Peace. That's the Prince of Peace in unimaginable circumstance, in, in pain too large to even articulate. What did he know that most people don't know? Well, he knew the end. He knew the future hope that he had in Christ, and that gave him present peace in his circumstance. And the same peace that this man experienced on the boat in 1873, I'm telling you, the Prince of Peace that met him meets me and you today. And we look to him and we call to him and, and, and he comes and his peace like a river invades our life. And one day he's going to get up 
He's gonna speak to the storm and in every space of our life, we're gonna have perfect peace. But until that day, take heart because Jesus is in the boat, amen. Would you bow your head and close your eyes with me today? I wanna pray for you today. I wanna pray the perfect peace of God in your life today in every circumstance. Today, if you don't know the Lord, I wanna pray today that you give your heart to him. You can't know peace in any other area unless you have peace with God. Maybe today you don't have peace with God and you need to give your heart to the Lord. I pray you'd make that decision today. It's the best decision you could ever make. Lord, we call to you today as the Prince of Peace. Thank you, Lord, that you came and you dwelt among us. Thank you, Lord, that you invaded our lives with peace like a river. Lord, I pray for those today who don't know you. Lord, I pray today they would have peace with you, God. Would they say yes to you? Would they, by faith, believe in what you've done for them on the cross? And God, today may they enter peace with you. And Lord, for all of us today, God, where we lack peace in our lives, Lord, in relationships and the world around us and on the inside of us, God, I pray that the river would flow strong today. Lord, I pray that what is upstream would invade what is downstream in our lives today. Thank you for this reminder today from your word. Thank you for the perfect peace of God that surpasses all understanding. God, today may it guard our hearts, may it guard our minds in Christ Jesus. We pray in Jesus' name, amen, amen. Church, would you stand to your feet? Let's respond and worship together.